Hey everybody, it's Daisha. Welcome to another Classical Classroom Music Education Month episode. March is a time to celebrate music education and to highlight its importance, and that is what we are doing again in this episode. You're about to hear from two staffers from a place called The Village School in my hometown of Houston, Texas. Shout out. The Village School is a prep school with a program for kids that provides them with music education from elementary school all the way through high school. And it's kind of amazing to hear how that affects young people and their ideas about like what they can do with their futures, which is what I've realized is like a big part of what music education is all about, is presenting young people with these crazy ideas about what they can do in life. That is some inspirational stuff. You know what? Somebody should write that down. All of that and so much more after this word from our sponsor. Oh, but hey, don't forget to subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. Okay? Thanks. This episode of the Classical Classroom Podcast is sponsored by Maestro Classics. Visit maestroclassics.com and listen to their recording of the Carnival of the Animals by composer Camille Sanson. Sanson? Uh, featuring the London Philharmonic Orchestra with pianist Donna Kwong and Wendy Chin. This Carnival of the Animals CD and MP3 can be yours for a very reasonable price, and it comes with a colorfully illustrated booklet with a complete Ogden Nash verses. Illustrated by Anne Wilsdorf, available at maestroclassics.com, Amazon, and on iTunes. And now on with the show. There's a rumor going around that classical music can be hoity-toity. But here in the classical classroom, we beg to differ. Beethoven 5. <laughs> the idea that classical music is a zone where we have to feel restricted or we have to act in a certain way, you know, that's not going to be helpful going forward. <laughs> Isaiah is shaking with excitement oh, here. I mean, there's just so many great parts of the opera. He asked me to play his favorite spot in the first moon of the Brahms. And then he said, I started using those licks in my guitar solos how to be classical music rock stars because there's not enough of that in this business. Occasionally I would plug in the mandolin to my distortion pedals. <laughs> I don't change my voice. And talking to classical I, music. <laughs> I'm playing classical music now. I mean, it's, it's yeah. the same 12 notes. That's what's so cool about it. I'm Daisha Clay, a classical music newbie, and I'm trying to learn all I can about the music. Come learn with me and the classical music experts I invite into the Classical Classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and I have with me today two staffers. We're recording on location at the Village School in Houston, Texas, my old hometown. And we'll get to this a little bit more in our discussion. But in short, the Village School is a college prep school for kids who are pre-K to high school age. And I've got today with me Sarah Perkins, who's a middle school band director, and Michael Barber. He's the fine arts director at the Village School. You guys, welcome to The Classical Classroom. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you for having us. So... First, before we get into the village school, let's meet you. So, Sarah, how did you get into this crazy world of music education, and and when did you know it was the thing for you? Yeah, so it's funny, because growing up, I was the kid who didn't want to go to piano lessons, who cried (laughs) regularly at the keyboard because I wasn't perfect. And my mom, she grew up in East Texas where there was no music program. And so for her, she really wanted us to have arts in our life. So I told her, mom, like piano's not working out. She kind of got me into trumpet. And from there, I I really fell in love with the band experience. I think that's how I ended up falling in love with music was through bands. 
And mm-hmm. yeah, I started teaching here at the village school about three years ago. And really last year, I had this amazing class. And that for me was the pivotal moment when I realized like I want to do education for the rest of my life. This class, this group of students just made me realize it's the best thing I can do with my life. So for me, it was a little bit more of a recent change. I I was kind of pursuing performance for a while, classical trumpet player, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I found myself here and absolutely loving it. Well, I too was was a trumpet player. I'm uh, oh man, I'm we're the a, best a former people. <laughs> trumpet player. Yeah, the best. Um, but also, like, I, tell me more about this class that changed your life. I have to know what was it? Yeah, a group of seventh and eighth graders uh, combined ensemble, and we did a really cool collaboration with the theater department here. So my kids learned a movie themes from movie suites. So we did a Harry Potter, a Pirates of the Caribbean, and Star Wars. And then the theater, the theater department recorded their own versions of those movies. And mm-hmm. then what was really cool is after they recorded them, the fifth grade tech class here edited those videos together. So every video looked different from every student because we didn't tell them this is the intro, this is the middle part. So From there, we voted on which videos we liked, and uh, it was such a creative and, like, really rewarding process to watch, like, literally probably 150 kids involved in this and really fall, like, watching them really fall in love with the process, and, uh, I mean, man, it was great. (laughs) It was a really cool year. Multimedia collaboration. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of amazing. So, so how about you, Michael? How did you first get involved with music education, and when when did you know that it was the thing for you? So I started music in fourth grade, um, or formal music in fourth grade. I started piano a little bit earlier. My mom was a pianist. So mm-hmm. music has always been a part of my life. I played guitar as a young child. My brother played guitar, so of course I had to emulate my brother and play guitar. (laughs) Then, you know, I started off on clarinet and found out that nobody wanted to be friends with the clarinetist. So I switched (laughs) over to saxophone. It's true. I mean, especially when you're in the marching band, you look a little odd as a dude in the marching band playing clarinet. So, you know, the band director said, okay, well, you're going to play saxophone. And then because I wasn't exactly a small child, he handed me a Barry sax and said, congratulations, you're marching with this thing now. <laughs> but I also, I did musical theater in, in high school and did choir as well. So when the jump to college came along, I sort of had that path in front of me where it was either, you know, do something that was scientific because I did well in sciences as well, or go into music. And music was my mm-hmm. passion. So... I pursued a a degree in music, but my pursuit of a degree in music had nothing to do with education. My pursuit of a degree in music was actually music theory and composition Mm. because I was going to be, you know, the next Stephen Schwartz or the next, uh, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber. I wanted to be on Broadway for the rest of my life composing music and writing the next great musical. And that happens for approximately 1% of the population or a little less. (laughs) So that didn't happen. Um... I had this one educator, though, his name was uh, Doc Smith, Dr. Donald Smith, who was at Mm -hmm. the University of Rhode Island when I was there um, going into graduate school. And he said, I'm running this camp, band camp, during the summer. I think you'd be so great to work with these kids. And I said, no, dude, this is not me. I I don't do this (laughs) at all. And then 
he convinced me. And part of the convincing was telling me things like, you'll be my graduate assistant next year. And I said, okay. And I did that camp. It was a two-week camp, and I loved it. I loved every aspect of it, from planning the lessons to the aha moment when you see a kid who's five years younger than you get it for the first time. And I kind of realized I was that kid five years ago Mm -hmm. doing the same things. And that was 24 years ago. And I've been in education since. Wow. that's I love that you both were kind of like reluctant yeah. at first to, to come to it because you had designs on doing other stuff in music. But then you were just won over despite yourselves, <laughs> which I think that says something for for music education and for, for your presence in that world. I think it makes sure. the passion ones. For sure. Um, we should talk about the special school that you've both wound up working at. Michael, will you tell us a little bit about the Village School and the music education program there? So the Village School was founded in 1966, and it's had a pretty thriving fine arts scene since the get-go. Throughout the years, mm-hmm. we've added and subtracted some programs, but it's had music at the core of its fine arts program for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Approximately nine years ago, they started a new program in music where they started a uh, children on violin at a very, very young age, uh, grade one, and followed that all the way up through to high school. In the meantime, they uh, also started having, you know, band, choir, and orchestra classes for grades four through 12. We now Mm -hmm. offer a variety of different ensemble courses and academic courses in music education here. So, Typically, what you see is grades one see two different music educators. One teaches vocal music, one teaches violin. And then grades two through two and three, excuse me, they take a violin twice a week. They take a rhythmic and percussive arts general music class and a vocal class once a week. And then in fourth grade, they go into something that we call the rotation. And the rotation is when they get to try out music in the, the sense of band instruments choir, like formalized ensemble choir class, mm-hmm. as well as uh, orchestra class. And then they also get part of that rotation is drama. So they start introducing drama at a younger age. In fifth grade, they go into their ensembles. And from that point, they, they're either hooked or they may move in between ensembles somewhat. But mm-hmm. we start specializing out a little bit more too. So that by the time that they're in middle school, there's middle school jazz band, there's a middle school show choir, there's a middle school concert choir, there's a middle school string ensemble. And then at the high school level, you continue that through where they have a, a more intense show choir experience, a, a very intense concert choir experience. They have um, a wind ensemble, they have a, an advanced jazz band. And then they also have string orchestra as well as an opportunity to do symphonic orchestra. So, you know, brass winds and strings all working together. And then we also offer the IB diploma program in music education as well. So that's where students get to learn a little bit more about air training, analytics, history, and hopefully do well in the IB exam after two years of intense (laughs) uh, study. Holy moly. That is, that's so much. It's going to be more <laughs> next year, believe it or not. <laughs> We're growing. That's, that's crazy. So, so um, okay, given, given that you guys are coming from this incredible, like, 
I mean, just really well thought out, really thorough, you know, taking kids from from a really young age all the way up through school, being kind of like steeped in music. I'm really interested to get your thoughts on the state of education in general in the U.S. because part of the reason that we're doing these episodes on music education is that I personally am trying to get a handle on what the real deal is with the state of music education. There's like, you know, there, I think there's this overarching opinion that I that I always seem to hear that that music education is going down the tubes uh, and that it's being replaced with more, you know, quote unquote, practical subjects. And so, Sarah, in your estimation, is that true? Uh at least for being a Texan. <laughs> uh, and I grew up here in Texas. And so the slice of what I know about music education in Texas anyway is that, you know, we're it's thriving. Like in Texas, you've got football. And when you have a really popular, when football's like part of the community, you also have to have a band. <laughs> so for me growing up <laughs> in a band scene, I mean, I most of my friends, I, I'm a little bit of a special case. I, I ended up doing a boarding school program in high school. So I didn't get the high school mm. marching band experience that most of my friends had. But, you know, band was their life. You're out there for, I mean, gosh, like four hours after school, sometimes two hours before school. I mean, it, it's a big commitment. So in Texas anyway, mm. I I don't see that. But I'm sure in other parts of the country, that is a reality. Uh, yeah, isn't that strange? I, I I also grew up in Texas and and had this just really thorough music education experience from the time I was a, a little bitty kid. And but I I wonder, Michael, if you can comment a little bit on whether or not that's true for all populations in Texas. I mean, I feel like I come from. I come from the burbs, and it was a wonderfully diverse suburb, but I still feel like we were a little bit privileged where I live. And I wonder if, if music education is getting to everybody now, um, or if there are, are, and if it's not, why? Well, I mean, I have the, a, a slightly different perspective. I've traveled the country as a music educator. I mean, I, I've taught in mm. Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Maryland, and now here in Texas. So I've seen different experiences throughout the country. And one of the things that I would say is that it really depends on the priorities of the parent, and the priorities of the school mm. administration, and frankly, the priorities of the state board of education. You know, down here in Texas, I will say there's a lot more that is written in Texas, you know, education code, you know, the TEKS that have more to mm -hmm. do with music education than perhaps in other states I've worked in. I've worked in states where they've gone in and completely decimated their music education program. You know, um, I was in Rhode Island when they did so. It's slowly making its way back. It's, mm -hmm. it's clearly about priorities. And, you know, one of the things that <laughs> I, I think that a lot of schools do, like I said, I've been in education for 24 years. I was working and kind of just hitting my stride as an educator. I was about 31, 32 years old when the uh, No Child Left Behind Act came out in 2002. And mm -hmm. under that, everybody started creating these high-state testing where they're like, well, we're going to take away electives and give them more practice on testing. And then they couldn't figure out why in God's Green Earth kids' grades on the tests were going down instead of going up. <laughs> and nobody seemed to make that correlation except for the music and theater, drama, 
dance educators all sitting out in the background, you know, waving arms going, it's us, it's us, you're cutting us. What do you, you, we take all of their education and put it together for them. They're allowed to Mm -hmm. be themselves. They can be a little kooky from time to time in, (laughs) you know, band class. You know, they may not be sitting still and writing, but they're learning so much. But it has to be about the priorities and it has to be well thought out, targeted, specific priorities that people are putting forth in the education. So here in Texas, I do see a little bit more emphasis on education. I, like yourself, I'm a little bit more of a suburban person. I'm not entirely certain that if you go out into the more rural areas that they're going to have the budget and the ability to to trickle that all the way down. You know, there is a a practical aspect about budget that comes into play. So have you guys heard of the podcast tree? It's indigenous to metropolitan areas and it grows near radio stations and garages. People just go outside and they pick podcasts right off of the tree and then they serve them to your ears. Oh, you've never heard of the podcast tree? That's because podcasts don't grow on trees. They grow in the ground like potatoes. Just kidding. We make them and it turns out that these episodes you're listening to cost money. If you want to support the work that we do here on the Classical Classroom Podcast, either hook us up with a podcast tree or go to classicalclassroomshow.com and click on the button that says tip jar. You can make a very tiny or a very huge donation there. Your choice. While you're on our website, you should check it out. Not to brag, but it is pretty schnazzy. Our friends at New Why made it for us, and they can make one for you, too. They can also promote your business. Find out more about New Why by going to classicalclassroomshow.com slash NW. That's N as in new and W as in Y. And now back to my chat with Sarah Perkins and Michael Barber from the Village School. You've touched on this a little bit, but but why... Why is music education or even like fine arts education in general, why is that so important for kids? Like even if they're not looking to be musicians when they grow up, why is it important for for their educational experience? And I, I can just speak to watching my students and their thinking that happens in a music classroom. And unlike mathematics or sciences where there's a right or wrong answer frequently, um, in music they're sometimes there is no answer, right? And that's part of it is that Mm -hmm. creativity that leads you to, you know, who knows where. That ability to think, okay, well, what's next? Like I I let my students a lot of times, they're the ones who plan everything. They're the ones who really shape what the class looks like. And I feel like that's something that students don't get anywhere else in any other classroom. Right, that that kind of uh, agency over what's actually going on in the right. class. Yeah, and that they control it, right? Like your whatever your dedic- level of dedication, you know, that shapes what the next concert looks like. So I think you're you're sort of getting at the fact that that like they're getting a chance to have like hands-on responsibility in a in a way right. for yeah, that they don't absolutely. get elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, and then a way too to connect to each other. I mean. Mm-hmm. I have a couple students who play tabla really well, and those students, one of them particularly, kind of seemed like uh, I wasn't sure if music was his thing until I was talking to his dad, and he was like, oh, yeah, he plays tabla incredibly well. So came up with this way to have him play with the band, and all of a sudden, like, that kid is so different now. Like, when I, when I talk to him, he's really confident. He comes in early to class to get help on things, and 
just his overall demeanor is different. And I think sometimes music just gives us a home. It gives us a place where we belong. We can connect to one another. And, you know, again, I don't think you're going to get that in a science classroom. Yeah, so we should actually backtrack for just a second because I realized that when we were talking about what the village school is, we didn't talk about the incredibly diverse student population there. There's something like like 60 countries represented? I was actually just on our website this morning, and I think the number right now is at 66 plus is what yeah. they have on the website for nationalities wow. represented. And I think there's well over 80 different languages that are spoken by the student and, and frankly, the professional body of, of the, the school. Wow. So when you have a school that is so culturally diverse, one of the major threads that you're going to find within is going to be that music education piece. Now, music education mm -hmm. in, say, India is going to be completely different than mm -hmm. it is in America, but ultimately yeah. that language, mm -hmm. that, that abstractness of the language of music remains fairly constant. It's a communication tool for culture. So you see that mm -hmm. really well represented, and it's, it's really it's an interesting thing. If you go into the choir class or the, the band class and... Within it, you have all these different cultural aspects that come out, and then they are also working together for a common goal as well. Mm -hmm. You know, piggybacking a little bit on what Sarah was just talking about with her tabla uh, student. One of the things that she didn't mention is one of those seventh grade tabla students actually went into the senior diploma program IB music class and gave a lesson about tabla music. Wow, um, that's so, so cool. now you have a 12-year-old teaching 18-year-olds, and they were hooked. Yeah. I mean, they were absolutely cool. hooked on it, <laughs> you know, because who better to teach that than somebody who, who has that experience, you know? Yeah. So wait, I, wait, I'm sorry. I think you mentioned this before, but IB, what is that? That's the International for? Baccalaureate Diploma Program. It's two years of intensive ah, okay. uh, study into a particular subject, so in this case, in music. They attack music from five different aspects, from an analytical aspect, from a historical contextual aspect, from a compositional aspect, from a performance aspect. And then there's this other one that's kind of like the theory of knowledge concept, which is the thinking aspect. How do you reflectively and critically think mm -hmm. about music? So when you look at any subject from five aspects, you need to be able to to formally formally immerse yourself into the 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 music itself so if i'm trying to teach it and i'm and i'm teaching from a book because i'd have no real understanding of what i'm talking about but i have a 12 year old child who does yeah. completely understand it their lives are steeped in it that's a better learning experience for everybody the 12 year old learns about himself and his own confidence mm -hmm. and the 18 year olds benefit from that child's knowledge, which is far deeper than my knowledge will ever be. So can can you guys just speak briefly about how do other countries approach music education? I mean, that's a really, that's like a super broad question. That's okay. But. No, I mean, I, I see it a lot, like, uh, at, at, like the wide range of what students know when they get to my classroom. Because, I mean, I have a student who she just started playing in band. She just came to Houston in January. She's super sweet, great kid, seventh grade, mm -hmm. plays clarinet. And when the very first day of band, like I, I come, I'm trying to talk to her about, hey, what do you know? Can you read music? And so I give her a sheet of music and she's like, this is, I don't, I, this is not how I read music. And 
it sounds like she was taught to read fingerings. So I'm not sure. So oh. things like that. Some students only know solfege. And it's a whole wide mix of kind of what. Wait, what is a what is solfege <laughs> and and then b where was that where was that student from? She was from she's from Spain. Uh, she moved from Spain. I think oh, she okay, actually grew okay. up in Argentina, but she moved from Spain. So and that's the other thing is like I'll get students who they were born in England and they've been in Russia for the last five years, but it's really amazing how they embrace that kind of like a world learner, world traveler mentality. I mean, huh. such rich background. But yeah, solfege. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Solfege yeah. is um, like a way that you assign notes in a key certain syllables. So that way, like, huh. you know, for instance, for her, if she's looking at a piece that's in F, her F is do. So she, oh yeah, do re mi yeah right. exactly. Sound of music. <laughs> yeah, sound of music. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay. Yeah, your pro now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a total pro. I know everything. We're done here. There you um, go. <laughs> so okay, this is this is incredible. I I mean like I love the fact that kids are coming from all over and kind of informing the, the music program that you guys have going on. Yeah, there. yeah. I mean, it Super takes cool. I think getting to know a kid too to be able to know what they're capable of right like sometimes I'll put up on like my fifth grade class like hey what other instruments do you guys play because a kid in fifth grade won't necessarily tell me hey I play zither really well but you ask that question and <laughs> right. then suddenly like Roxy plays zither incredibly well and you never would have known that and that's an amazing thing you can incorporate into your you know your music making super cool so kind of Backtracking for a second, yeah. you you asked a little while ago what fine arts education does for a child, or, or mm -hmm. you know that import issue. One of the things that we do is beyond being reflective, beyond teaching children critical thinking skills or abstract language or or all that kind of the techno babble part of education mm -hmm. that that can surround fine arts. One of the biggest things is what Sarah just brought up is getting to know your students. And when you're dealing with students with whom you have to, you're going to be asking them to, to put themselves out there mm -hmm. all the time. And so if you're going to ask students to put themselves out there, whether they're a singer, they're a trumpet player, they're a pianist or, or whatever, if you don't have a strong rapport with them where they trust you and you can prove to them that their knowledge is the most important part of this equation, yeah. they're not going to put themselves out there and then they're never going to grow. So that rapport piece that she was just talking about mm -hmm. is so super important. It also gives them that opportunity to say, oh, there is a connection here between, say, the zither and learning other mm -hmm. instruments or my cultural music and Western-influenced music. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's there's so many different aspects. There's so many different boxes that we, we work with in fine arts education. Yeah. Because we're, you know, a classical music show, we should talk for just a second about why classical music specifically mm. is important for, for kids to know. And like how, speaking of rapport, like how do you engage kids who are maybe not listening to that kind of music outside of the classroom and get them interested in it? Yeah. So to answer your the first part of your question, sort of, I was talking to one of our seniors who's in the IB program, and he's going to Berkeley, stunning jazz, really great vibraphone player. He and I were actually talking about this the other day, and he felt like, even though now he 
produces his own rap albums. He mostly all plays jazz. That's what he's really interested in. He felt like if he hadn't studied classical music, especially at an early age, he wouldn't have near the abilities that he does now, be it technical or analytical. So those foundations Mm -hmm. are so vital in order to give you the tools that you need to create further, but create in a really deep way. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like the the building blocks of music. And it's also really challenging. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think sometimes classical music can be, it can be so harsh, (laughs) but that's what makes it uh, such, again, such a good building block. Yeah. This this is my favorite and and final question, actually. Um, So you guys have something at the Village School that's obviously very special, very cool, but, but like, we've talked about, not every school has those kinds of resources. Mm-hmm. So can you give a little bit of advice to parents and students who are listening about how they can get a little bit of, like a little piece of what you guys do into their own schools and communities? I think I would challenge a student to talk to their teacher, hmm. to not be afraid to present ideas. I know for me as a teacher, I love that. I love when a student emails me about, hey, I have an idea of, uh, like, why don't we play with the choir or something like that? Like, that's how I got all the theater stuff started last year as as a student. So I think that's what I would talk, want to speak to kids about is, hey, don't be afraid to think outside the box, come up with your own ideas, and then present them well. Yeah, like actually go and talk to teachers and administrators on their own. Yeah, be in charge of your own education. Yeah. And, And from an administrative standpoint, I would say that it's... What is clear to administration as an important piece to parents and students is something that gets funded. Mm. If you have a school that doesn't have, quote unquote, the resources, but they they have the ability to to field, you know, 75 teams and they have the ability to to build a new gymnasium or they have the ability to purchase the next whatever up and coming piece but they don't want to invest in the band or the into the choir or or even into a teacher to teach one <laughs> of those the best way to 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 get that investment is to present why it's important yeah whether it's you know from somebody like myself who, t- who maybe takes a, a bit of a research based look at that or if it's literally going on mass to the administration going to the education council or the town council or whoever it is that controls the budgets and and express that this is a huge important piece of a child's education Mm -hmm. they do listen i watched this happen in a small town they were stripping certain items out of the budget line and one of them was the stipend that actually goes to the marching band director and it was either the marching band director would continue to do the marching band and but they would not be compensated for their time my gosh which really works well, Um, or the marching band was going to go away, which affected negatively 115 students in their high school. Wow. And when you had 115 students plus mom and dad and brothers, sisters, cousins, and whoever else they could wound up along the way and bring them to the town council who who were the de facto school education um, budget budgetary people in that particular town, 
and demand to talk about this. Why are you cutting this program? Mm -hmm. You know, this is not a huge amount of money when you're talking about a budget, a school budget of, you know, $200 million for a large town. And it was a $15,000 stipend. Mm -hmm. They, they got it. They were able to, to, to re, re put it. Awesome. But it's about having that priority. And by, they have yeah. to let people know what the priority is. And if you sit back and don't talk about that, what the priority is and don't talk about what the educational outcomes are, or if you don't talk about what it does for students, whether you're talking about the next Mozart in the classroom or the kid who wants to be, you know, Ariana Grande, it, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Or just the kid who wants to be a hobbyist for the rest of their life or an informed listener. They have to have that priority. So, so it starts with being a part of your community. Yes. And you know, there's a little movie called Footloose. There is. That <laughs> provides a fantastic blueprint for how to, how to do this. I'm sorry. There you go. Perfect. I just had to. Well, you got to cut loose. Footloose, one might say. You might. <laughs> Sarah and Michael, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I've... I've learned a lot about music, Ed, and uh, I wish you guys well at the Village School. I what a what a great place! Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right, everyone, that's it for this episode of Classical Classroom. For more Classroom, go to classicalclassroomshow.com. Follow us on the social media links there, and don't forget to subscribe to, rate, and review the show wherever you listen to us. Remember, you can always email us at classicalclassroomshow at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Thanks to the home of Classical Classroom, King FM, where we are definitely not pretending to work while taking micro naps. Thanks to the birthplace of Classical Classroom, Houston Public Media. Thanks to the official sushi provider of our show, Belushi's Sushi. I'm a roll man. A hand roll, that is. Thanks to the Village School and to Sarah Perkins and Michael Barber for being on the show. Thanks to me for saying words, but most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Hi, Mom.